Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Thank you for joining us again on the Appalachian Baptist Network. Today you are listening to part two of an interview with Dr. Michael Perdue, the president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention. If you have not heard part one, please go back to last week's episode and enjoy that interview. And without further ado, here is part two of our interview with Dr. Perdue. So Michael, we've already talked about this a little bit, but we were going to talk about maybe some of the biggest failures that you have seen in the past just when it comes to um, church revitalization, uh, and you know, I asked a little bit ago about um, how if you felt like we were behind the eight ball, if you are trying to catch up, or always behind with church revitalization because maybe we let it go too too far too long. Um, and you 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 drew a very important contrast, a contrast that I think is important for all of our listeners, especially those that are leading in church revitalization between the crowd and the core. And the church growth movement and and all of its success, it had a lot of success with the crowd. There was a lot of success with big numbers. Um, and as we maybe tried to repeat that in the recent past um, in order to regain some measure of success. Do you feel like that is the biggest failure that maybe we focus too much on the crowd and not enough on the core and that one-on-one discipleship? I think maybe the, the thing that would be most concerning to me is to have a separation between a crowd and a core. So, you know, I, I don't, necessarily think that there are different levels that we should expect of people from discipleship. Now, will there be people who, who reach different levels or make different investments? Sure. I I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, we can see that in, in every level of ministry, you know, we can see different levels of, of dedication, but I, I think the, the concern, if we're all about simply being bigger to be bigger, and you know, the church I pastor, that's been the thing that I've been told uh, by former you know, staff and things like that, that. There's just always an emphasis to grow. You know, we need more. We need more. Let's look at the numbers. Let's see what the numbers are. Um, and numbers can tell us a lot because numbers represent people, right? Numbers are, are representative of a person made in the image of God. And so they're obviously um, important to the work that we're doing. But if, if the emphasis is to have a number, a growing number, simply for the sake of that number, that's a problem. And so I think when we get to that concept where we even have like a, a core and a crowd dichotomy taking place is that we're missing that we want each and every person who comes to faith in Christ not only to um, make that commitment public, to, to be baptized, to join the church. We want that person to be discipled to maturity. We want them to grow in their, their faith, grow in their knowledge of Christ so that they become more like Christ. 
Um, you know, we want them participating in spiritual disciplines. We want them uh, to uh, read their Bible and pray. We want them to to grow and know more about Christ. We want them to lead others to Christ. And so, uh, I th- I think if we miss that part of it, uh, it's not good. So, a church with you know hundreds of people who are not growing. Um, in their faith are not going to have the impact on the world that a church of of just a few who love the Lord and are growing is going to have. You know, we look at the book of Acts, we've got a church starting with with 120 people who love the Lord and they're sold out for Christ. They're willing to go to prison for him. They're willing to die for him. Uh, they have all things in common. They're selling their stuff. No one has a need. And look at the effect that that has when that small church has a great impact uh, for the kingdom. And so, so if we're only worried about, say, the thousands that come, we should know that those thousands only come because that core group um, knows Christ and knows him well and are growing as disciples. And so that should be our desire is that no matter the size of our church, whether we have 10 people or 20 people or 2,000 people, that they are growing to know Christ. Because I can promise you a huge church that does not emphasize discipleship, does not emphasize people growing, will not stay that way. Okay, that will fade out. My church is a, a great example. Hundreds of people here, hundreds of people, and it can be gone quickly, and it was gone quickly. And so we desperately, every church, every North Carolina Baptist church needs to be concerned about making disciples who make disciples because that is how our churches have longevity. That's how we have longevity toward the mission uh, is by making disciples who make disciples. I think whatever you win them with, you win them too, right? So if you win them with a high experience of a of a VBS experience, you know, then they can't do that. They go away. You know what I mean? If you win them to some program, that goes away. But if you win them to Christ, then that remains. That's a good point. And you have to think with that analogy too. And uh, you know, and I don't necessarily want to take the analogy too far. Okay, but if you think about that analogy, you, know, you keep them with what you win them with. If we if we kind of compare that experience, if if it's an experience uh, that that keeps them, we know across all types of experiences in life, when you've had it, you need something better the next time. The same doesn't always keep working. So you you think about a a person who's struggling with some type of drug addiction, right? They can't stay with the same thing. It has to become more. And I think when we, our, our faith becomes only an experience instead of our faith in Christ. um, But it's, we have faith in the experiences we have at some point, if they don't jump up to the next level, they're just not that exciting anymore. You know, if you've rode the same roller coaster over and over again, it just doesn't bother you anymore. You go to the same haunted house over and over again. It doesn't scare you anymore. The experience has to be up. The game has to be up. And that's a problem for the church because we cannot continually up the experience, right? You know, I'm going to say this as a true church revitalizer, revitalizer guy. Uh, one of the pastors I had lunch with recently, we were discussing this very issue. And he told me, he said, the last thing this area needs is another church plant because what is happening is instead of people learning to keep the commands of Christ and live in gospel centered communities, 
as soon as they get upset about something or they can't get the higher experience they want, they go to the new church plan in town and it ends up being the same old faces in different places. And I think that was a very good, and of course he also had some things he wanted to say about the North American Mission Board's emphasis on church planting over revitalization, but we won't get into being the stepchildren of Nam. We won't talk about that. So, Well, they tell the story in my area of people who started at one church um, east of here on the highway, and they worked their way down three or four different churches, and it was the same type thing. They would be there until the experience kind of ran out, until the new wore off, and then they went down to the next church. And, you know, you can do that all the way down the highway, all the way into the next county um, until you run out of time and the Lord calls you home. But that that's a problem when it's about the experience. And and for some people, it's the nostalgia of, of replicating an experience. And that that is difficult. Um, one, it's difficult to overcome as a church, right? Because you're tr- you're having to convince somebody that their experience is not what is most important, and yet that's what they know best. Uh, and so that's a difficult thing to overcome. But we need to preach Christ and emphasize that. You know, I've had, and maybe both of you have had this as well. People who who talk about the pastor's need to motivate people. You know, the pastor needs to to motivate us. You know, if if our salvation, bought and paid for by the blood of Christ on the cross, is not motivation enough, as I tell my people, I got nothing for you. If if the fact that Christ has saved you from your sin and an eternity in hell, he has saved you from that. He has saved you to an eternity with him as Lord and Savior of your life. He has an inheritance that he has prepared for you and kept for you in glory. If that's not motivation, I got nothing. Preach. I got, I got nothing. So. Let's say we'll just hang out, let you keep going there. That's good. All right. Uh, let's, we're, we're kind of nearing our time here. Let, we'll try to answer these next couple quickly. And I'm going to do a twinkling of the eye around. Uh, one of the things we'd like for you to share, you've kind of shared the church has been in decline. Has there ever been a, something big you've tried to do in church revitalization as a pastor and it, it failed? And would you maybe share something like that with us? Hmm, something that failed. Um, you know, I've tried to do some reorganizational things when I came uh, to Eichard, um that I, I thought would be very helpful looking at our past. Uh, there was some distrust there that was reflected in our governing documents. And I know governing documents sounds like a boring thing, but really as a, a pastor, when you're trying to do some things or make some changes that can either restrict you or really free you. And uh, I tried that in my first year here. Uh, at Eichard. My first year was abysmal, and that's not a secret. So if people in my church listen to that, they know I had a, a bad first year. I, I didn't love being here. I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, uh, which is, I think, the case with a lot of people. Um, and so they weren't ready for that, and that kind of got pushed back on. Um, I think now, looking at it all this time later, we still have the same governing documents that we're starting to look at again. Um, I think if we had made those changes then, I think some good things would have happened, uh, but also it's possible there would have been some bad outcomes from that. But I really believed in some of those changes uh, that we wanted to make. And coming from a place where where the church would have really, really supported the things I wanted to do, it was like a, 
it was a humbling experience to have a group of people say, no, we're not going to do that and ignore it and move on to the next thing. And uh, so now, you know, it would probably be a completely different experience. I, I pastored them for eight years. You know, I, I, I preach differently than my predecessors. We go through books of the Bible all the time. Even Christmas Sunday will still be an ax because that's just how I roll. Um, and so, but that's all normal now, but it's very unusual then. So I think that was a, a disappointment to try to make those changes. But I was 28 years old when I came here. I would, again, do things very differently now. Uh, and I, I think that's a good lesson for me and for younger pastors that maybe you got to take a little more time if you're going to make some changes, even if you think they're going to be good. Um, but it is worth it to take the time to make them intentionally at a good pace. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a common mistake that many revitalizers make is trying to begin with structure. And that's really not a good starting point for, for the go uh, whenever you're coming into a new church. And I will say on that, that wasn't my idea to change our documents. Um, that was something they wanted to do and something they were starting to do. Uh, but I think what they really wanted to do was to um, just correct some problems they realized but those were kind of surface problems and I knew they were surface problems, but they thought they were the main problem. And so they, they fixed those. Um, but there was, there was much deeper issues we needed to fix. So I didn't come in and say, let's, let's change our, our bylaws. Uh, they wanted to change the bylaws. They just didn't want to change them far enough, if you will. Yeah. All right. Um, anything you're interested in or thinking about right now as a pastor or as president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention, for example, maybe you're researching something right now, formulating something in your mind you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, this is an oddity, and it's not necessarily as president of the convention. As a pastor, I'm starting to see more and more discussion uh, in society and, and in, with people in my church about the, the transgender movement. Um, and so I've actually begun to do some reading and research on that um, because I, I, it's a wave that's coming. Um, my, my, here. It is here. Um, but the interesting thing is the statistics are bearing out that it's a movement that is changing. Um, the concept of gender dysphoria uh, was something that was uh, used to start out really young and it was mainly little boys who said they were girls. And now it's changing where it's adolescent teenagers who are coming out as transgender to their family, wanting to have surgeries and take uh, drugs and that sort of thing, which is alarming. Um, the book I'm reading right now is actually from someone who is not a believer, uh, very much supportive of the transgender movement, but she is sounding an alarm because of this happening to teenage girls, which is fascinating to me. Um, it's a reminder that if we, you know, when we get to the line, right, the line God has said, as more we flirt with the line, the more we try to step over the line, uh, the more it's a tsunami. It's not, you know, they're not small waves. It's a tsunami of things that happen. And so that's one of the things that's interesting to me is to kind of research that and, and try to be prepared to give that answer. Uh, it's something I'm talking about more in my sermons uh, when I talk about kind of our contrast with uh, the society and the culture around us. And so that, that's a, a very interesting thing uh, to me. And uh, so I, you know, from a convention standpoint, I'm, I'm trying to begin preparing for this transition we're going to have to a new EDT. Uh, that's going to be a big change for the convention. 
Um, and, uh, I, there's only so much you can do when you have no idea who it's going to be. Um, but I'm, I'm also trying to temper some of the things that I'm saying, okay, I want to do this. I want to, to promote this because I, I, God's got a man for us as North Carolina Baptists. And I want to jump in and support him, uh, when, when we have a new EDT next year. Yeah. So you better, you better translate your letters for those that are listening. You're talking about executive director, right? Yeah. Sorry. Executive director treasurer is, uh, the formal title of, uh, the leader of our convention, the staff leader of our convention, uh, who oversees the, the rest of the staff and, and really sets the direction, uh, and tone, uh, for our convention. And so with Milton Hollifield, who's been our EDT, uh, since, uh, 2006, uh, retiring in February, uh, he'll be retiring at the end of February. That means that we'll have a new executive director treasurer. And there's a search committee that is, um, has narrowed to a very short list of candidates uh, that uh, they'll be presenting someone uh, to the convention in the spring. Very good. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to the twinkling of an eye around here to get to know you a little bit better. I'm going to rapid fire you some questions real quick. Don't be of too much thought to them. Just give me quick responses. Okay. All right. Number one, favorite NCAA basketball team? That would be the North Carolina Tar Heels. Favorite uh, basketball player of all time? Uh, I'm going to say Tyler Hansbro uh, because of his demolition of Duke on multiple occasions. (laughs) (laughs) Who is a pastor or preacher who has most influenced you in your ministry? Probably one that I know the best that's influenced me in that way would be Steve Ellis. He's the pastor uh, at uh, uh, First Baptist Leland, North Carolina. Um, I worked on his staff when I was a youth minister and uh, got to see how he responded to some very difficult times in the church we both, both served in and learned a lot from him and, uh, and call him a friend. If you could preach in any pulpit in the world, what, where would that be? What pulpit would that be? So I'd like to say that I would like to preach in Joe Osteen's pulpit. Uh, and the reason is, um, so I don't, I mean, I've got a buddy that's got this really cool cross as a pulpit and it's an awesome pulpit. So it's, it's probably one of the coolest pulpits I've ever preached from. But, I mean, Joel Stein's church is the place that needs to hear it the most. So, uh, Did you know the Mormons in Salt Lake City have a adjustable pulpit based on the speaker's side? It, it will go up. I may down. change my answer then. If, uh, <laughs> Salt if, Lake. I didn't realize that was an option to uh, – I said any pulpit. You know, I yeah. didn't clarify if it was faithful or not to the – Sorry. The well, I mean, I said Joel Osteen. So, <laughs> sure. um, so, I mean, I think that would be – you know, that's a pretty big platform to have. So. All right. What now, of course, now bear in mind with this question, I'm not talking about relationships and people. Okay. This is about things. Oh, what is one of your most valuable earthly possessions? So these will be things that will be consumed in the fire whenever the Lord cleanses this place. Um, yeah, I've got a, a belt buckle. It, It doesn't account for much. It's got, um, it's got spent rounds from a, a rifle of some type, uh, but my grandfather made it for me. And so that's a pretty, a pretty cool thing. He's passed away now. And so that's a, uh, a pretty neat object that I've got. Um, so yeah, so that one's, that one's probably it. Good answer. And then is there anything that we did not ask you today that you wish we had? Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the big discussions that, uh, that every podcast like this should have is barbecue topics. Um, and 
Um, <laughs> I, I was on a competing <laughs> podcast yesterday, so I've never been on a podcast other than a couple I've recorded in my life. And this is my second one in two days. And one of the hosts there is a, a heathen who believes in Eastern barbecue. And um, so I, we talked about cheer wine instead of barbecue for that reason. But uh, I would just like to denounce vinegar based barbecue and you didn't give me that opportunity. Really? So you I would took denounce that it and you yeah. live in North Carolina. Uh, because I eat Lexington barbecue because I'm from Western North Carolina oh. and not Eastern North Amen. Carolina. So, Amen. Um, I just love them all. I mean, but I'm a fat uh, guy. So, you know, yeah, I can... listen, I mean, I, I got three bills sitting in this chair and I'm still not eating no vinegar based barbecue. So not happening. I'll shoot a deer from the east and bring it back to the west and put tomato based barbecue sauce on it. So to each his own. I mean, to each his own. No, I just I just want to say that earlier Michael and I were having this this conversation about barbecue came up and I could just feel the presence of the spirit in that place as we talked about denouncing vinegar based barbecue sauce. Man, guys. I love barbecue. I love barbecue. And there is no reason to mess it up with some vinegar-based barbecue sauce. Wow. Western North Carolina ba- barbecue sauce is the barbecue sauce. In fact, I'm driving through Lexington tonight on my way to Caraway, and if they're still open, I will stop and eat at the Lexington barbecue mm-hmm. um, because why would you eat anywhere else? As you should. We'll, we'll try to include some more barbecue questions for you next time. And then <laughs> finally, uh, how can we be praying for you, brother, as you become president and, and these initiatives start rolling out? And you're, you're going to have a lot of responsibility. Not every president gets to be part of the appointment of a state exec. So that's going to be a unique opportunity for you. So. Yeah. I mean, almost everything that goes with the state convention uh, needs to be bathed in prayer. Um, we will have a called convention, most likely, um, early next year. Uh, and so presiding over that will be important. It'll be a good, uh, a good transition, but, but a, an important transition for the convention. Um, I, I've started to get some uh, requests for speaking, uh, which is a, a great honor. Had one today from, from some brothers down in the, the central part of the state uh, to come to their association and just talk about the convention and encourage pastors. And so just pray as I travel. Uh, I get to take my kids on a lot of those, which is really good. Get to spend time with them uh, because they're homeschooled. And, and actually, that was the only thing my wife made me agree to, to be uh, an officer, is that I took some of the kids when I went. So, uh, so they'll do some homeschool in the car as we travel around, and they're well-known at the convention offices now. And so, uh, so just pray for that, for the, the travel, but also the opportunity. I, I think our convention is, um, you know, there's so many, North Carolina is unique in this. We've got so many different types of North Carolina Baptists, right? And, and so when we start looking at, at everything going on here in the state and then things going on nationally, it is really easy for North Carolina Baptists to be splintered off into our little groups of, of you know, whether it's Mountain Baptists and Eastern Baptists or whether it's, you know, Reformed and not Reformed or, or High Church and Low Church, whatever it is. And it's easy to be kind of separated out. And what God really wants us to do is to come together under the, under the banner of North Carolina Baptists and really reach our state and our community and the world with the gospel. And so my hope is that as I get to travel around, um, I can really encourage us toward that end to not be um, divided over things. Some, some of them very important um, that we do need to talk about and think through, but, but to really come together under the, 
the main thing, uh, which is reaching lost people with the gospel. So pray for that. Sounds good, brother. Thank you for being with us. And we are well over. We may have to break this up into two different episodes uh, because we went so far over. But uh, uh, any closing thoughts, Brent, or any any last uh, comments there, Dr. Purdue, before we we land the plane here? Just thank you to... uh to Michael for being willing to take time to be to be on our lowly little uh, Appalachian Baptist Network podcast. It is uh, it is definitely not the potluck, which is a very good podcast to listen to, by the way, if you listen to ours. Um, but definitely, thank you for just taking out the time to connect and give give all of our listeners a chance to get to know you. And um, I think, Lord willing, we're going to have another podcast with you and your vice presidents. Uh, coming up as well, where we'll be able to focus even more on what the state convention is doing. So just thank you for um, for being generous with your time and for being willing to serve our state. Well, thank you so much, fellas. And I just appreciate the investment that you're making through this podcast and the other ministries that you're doing in um, Baptist, you know, throughout the mountains, um, throughout the Appalachian mountains. And, and I know you reach folks in other States and that sort of thing as well. And I'm just appreciative of that, uh, because all our pastors need encouragement and the work that you're doing, it can, um, definitely help them uh, be encouraged. All right. Thank you, brother. And join in next time as we, uh, sit down with the vice presidents and have another interview with them and tune in with us next week. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.